do you want to watch some weird movies? Well, do I have good news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and Rue Morgue have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society, a curated subscription video-on-demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror films. Now genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking, underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group, says, The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audience. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from thousands of film hours from in MVD's mast catalog. In addition, Rumarg will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Gober, director of programming, says, As larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with MVD Entertainment Group and genre champions Rumark Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try this service out for yourselves. If you go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com, you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELIST. Yes, you heard me. You will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just pure insanity. So once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the pro- promo code SHAMELIST. All one word, S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T. SHAMELIST. discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and at the moment I guess I'm going solo. This is a little bit different episode. It is actually um, just me on this uh, episode today interviewing a guest. Um, This was something that I've had in the works for a little bit because of um, there's some sponsorships that we've got going on. Um, uh, MVD Entertainment Group reached out to me and asked if I had any interest in interviewing Adriana Gober, Director of Programming for Midnight Movie Society, which you heard our promo at the beginning, and hopefully you are all subscribers now and enjoying their amazing content. Um, I agreed, uh, because I've always wanted to talk to a website curator, a film curator, because uh, an area of film culture that I am extremely interested in and would love to get involved with. 
So I jumped at this occasion, and Adriana Gober, who is, as I said, the guest today, was extremely knowledgeable, extremely sweet, and we had an amazing conversation. We talked about everything from the like love for horror starting in early... <laughs> we talked about a little bit everything from our love for horror starting at a very early age and even being bullied by nuns because of it, personal philosophies on movie theaters, some of our earliest horror memories. We talk a little bit about Jess Franco and how he's a bit of a blind spot for me and how his film The Sadist of Notre Dame is on the Midnight Movie Society currently. Um, Personalized film curation and how and one's philosophies going into curating film. Um... We even talk a little bit about gatekeeping and how one should fight back against it. Uh, I asked where streaming services get their prints from. I thought that was kind of interesting because I've always been curious. And then whether or not um, taboo films should have historical and cultural context. So we talk a lot about it. We talk about a lot. And uh, I'm very proud of this interview. So in just a minute, I will be sitting down with Adriana Gober. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss a lot of cool stuff. So bear with me, guys, and um, um, if there are any audio issues, because I have issues with my mic, uh, my mic cable, I think I've removed it all. So let's hope for the best. And uh, yeah, oh, any any sound that you hear in the background right now is more than likely my beautiful and talented wife Amanda downstairs working in the kitchen. So thank you again for listening, and please use Midnight Movie Society, use our promo code, and watch some cool stuff. Oh, on top of that, Adriana also gives us some really great suggestions of movies to check out. Um, I will say the two on top of my list is Jess Franco's The Sadist of Notre Dame and a movie called Turkey Shoot. So uh, there's plenty more to choose from, but if you're ever wondering where to begin, she's got you covered. So enjoy my interview with Adriana Gober. Um, where are you based out of? Uh, I'm I'm based out of uh, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is kind of like an hour outside of Philadelphia. Okay. And uh, it, I I live in an area called the Weehaw Valley, and it's sort of uh, in right in the in between New York City and Philly. Like if you were if you were to drive from like Manhattan to Philadelphia, you could make a pit stop in the Weehaw Valley. So it's a convenient location because I can go you know, to Philly for shows or screenings and I can go to New York. Um, so I, I like it. I imagine that's a hotbed for, for screenings. Yeah. Have you been to any good not, ones not, recently? Not so much like in the, in the town I live in, but obviously, you know, mm-hmm. Philly and New York, but, but we have some, uh, nice like, um, art house cinemas around here. Like I, I, I program a horror series at one, but those are those are two. It's a two screen. Oh, just like a two, little two screen theater. Yeah, I've often felt that those are some of the most charming. Like it's it's yeah, it's nice and like you can get drinks and food and bring it into the theater. It's like an alehouse cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a we had a that's I, I kind of love that it's become commonplace drinking in, in theaters. Um, we had a little theater. It's still around, but different owners now. Call a theater in Wisconsin called the Time Cinema. And because of that, because of that theater, I got to see a bunch of weird stuff. Like back when, um, what was it Magnet Films? Was that it was? 
uh, I can't think of their name. The company that put out Rubber originally. Oh, um, okay. Um, they were showing a bunch of their stuff for the longest time, and I got to see a bunch of weird stuff because of it. And it was a theater that used to be an auto body garage, so it has a, like, just the layout of it was very strange. And I, I love reading up on these old theaters that, you know, were once a very random business that they decided to put a screen in because it was such a lucrative thing once upon a time. You could put a screen pretty much anywhere, and it would make money. So that sounds amazing. Yeah, it actually really is. And I had, I always had a great fondness for this theater. Um, um, I went to film school and I shot my senior thesis film there just because I wanted an excuse to shoot in a movie theater. And yeah, I kind of loved it, but yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for like when movies get kind of meta and you get like scenes in movie theaters. Oh, like th- this was this whole thing. Like I, 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 I'm very open about the fact that I ripped off the, the concept for maniac Two, Mr. Robbie, about this like children's host that gets a letter from an, from an abused fan. I kind of took that concept and ran with it, but I, I, I could not think of a good location. And, uh, um, as, as I was brainstorming, I was like, I just want to get very meta with this. And I said it in a movie theater and he goes to see a, like a three stooges triple feature. Cause when I wrote it, I had this great idea that he's going to murder this guy to the sounds of the three stooges. And I just thought that would be the funniest <laughs> thing ever. It didn't work out that way, but I still used that location, which was made me very happy. And since the projectors weren't operational anymore, cause they were going through renovations. I had to, my lighting guys had to, you know, put up this very bright light in the projection booth and run their hands over it to make it seem like it was flickering. Wow. Yeah. So, Adriana, if you don't mind me asking, so it seems very much like myself. You uh, really love the horror genre. When did that? When did that fascination begin for you? Um, well, I mean, in, in childhood, as as I imagine it does with a lot of horror fans, but I I grew up watching a lot of genre films and television with my stepdad, um, mainly sci-fi and horror, because that's what he grew up watching. You know, so it kind of all started with him sharing uh, a lot of what he loved as a kid with me when I was a kid. Um, and so it kind of just grew out of that, out of this, you know, this childhood love for sort of weirder, uh, more unusual uh, types of of um, media. And, you know, it just it never went away. I, um, I, my my love of hard sort of grew and grew as I got older. Um, and, you know, I never imagined that I would be working in the industry in any way. Um, so, you know, that's been a dream come true. And that always, I always kind of love that success story of some being able to turn something that you love that I'm sure a lot of people were looked down upon for loving it, being able to turn it into a job or a career or just, you know, a way to a, a healthy outlet. Yeah, and since you mentioned being looked down upon, uh, I went through twelve years of Catholic schooling. Oh no! Um, yeah, and when I was uh, when I was in second grade, um, my horror obsession kind of caused problems for me um, because we were required to keep a journal in class, and I filled my journal with with stuff about horror movies. And uh, at the time, I was really into a lot of the full moon production stuff, so mm-hmm. uh, like Puppet Master. Uh, and they did some, they did like the pit and the pendulum and, and Castle Freak and all of that. And so I would write about these movies in my journal and I would do these illustrations, um, sort of detailing scenes I remembered from the films. And my teacher called a meeting with my mom and the principal, who was a nun, 
And basically, she told my mother that, uh, you know, she needed to supervise me at home and that she was being a negligent mother because she allowed me to watch all these horror movies. And as you can imagine, my mom didn't take too kindly to that accusation. So uh, I don't have very good memories of uh, my early school years uh, as they as they related to uh, my interests. But, um, you know, I, I got over that and uh, I kind of laugh about it now because obviously I was not adversely affected by this interest. It, it sort of only has it, it's opened doors for me. It hasn't ever negatively impacted me. And I also think it's really cool that when you were so young that at least it doesn't seem like you were really afraid of a lot of these films. Were no, you? no. In fact, the only movie I remember being really scared of uh, as a kid was uh, Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, which is so corny. Why Mimic? I just recently rewatched. Um, I I've never liked bugs, so the oh, okay. idea of a, of an insect that could take the the form of of a human and 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 uh, kill people was uh, disturbing to me. But like, I didn't have it. I didn't have any problems with like Hellraiser, which was one of my favorite movies as a kid. That was a it, feel- it's weird. Oh, sorry. Continue. I'm sorry. Um, it's just it's just strange, sort of thinking about like what what things unnerve us and 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 what we're totally fine with because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But what's funny for me is because one re- reason I applaud you is because when I was a kid, everything scared me. Everything. Oh. I I I one time got like I couldn't even watch the trailers for upcoming horror films, and they showed nothing in those trailers other than like. You know, the there was like a sense of dread because you knew something was gonna happen, and then you got the music and uh and all that. But like, it, they they all like terrified me. And then I remember um, my family. So I, while I live, I'm from Wisconsin. My dad's side of the family is all from the Appalachian Mountain Range in Virginia. So we'd go visit family up there. And one of my earliest memories that freaked me out. It, it took a lot of work to kind of like figure out where I had these memories from was I now realize it was Friday the 13th part six on television when Joe Bob Briggs was showing it on TV and it scared the shit out of me because it was that was one of the few Jason movies where you saw him in full daylight right and that freaked me out and then since it was this heavily wooded area and it reminded me a lot of by my grandparents house that I just had this irrational fear that Jason was going to kill me at any point and I'm really <laughs> impressed of myself that I was able to come out of all this loving horror films because I had to like close my eyes and c- cover my ears if a commercial came on. That's how afraid I was. So when did you? When did you? When did that shift start happening? Like when did you start to really enjoy horror films? Um, it took a while because like I remember while while we were visiting my grandparents, uh, my mom was looking for something to watch on TV. And she saw that it was Psycho was on TV. Turn I find I, I find out later on that it was actually the the Psycho remake. But like oh, the Gus Van Sant. Yeah, I was so afraid because she's like, "Oh, we're gonna put this horror movie on," and I was panicking the entire time, waiting for something to happen. But I feel like for me, when the change happened, I think it was probably around high school. No, I actually think it was closer to middle school, going into high school, and. I had, because I always, even when I was afraid, I had this weird interest in it where um, 
I couldn't watch the movies, but I wanted to know what happened. You know, I, I, I was too afraid to watch a Freddy Krueger movie, but I wanted someone to tell me who he was and why. Um, and But I remember uh, it was when I finally started getting some money of my own uh, through allowances or whatever. Uh, I, Target was selling a, a copy of Halloween. And I thought, I'm going to just jump in and buy this movie and see if I can do it. Uh, and it was the first time I had watched a horror movie all the way through since like I was a kid. And I found myself appreciating it. I, like, you know, like I, I was a little worried at first that it was going to scare me for some reason. Uh, and it didn't. Like, I, I could appreciate where the scares were coming from, but I find I found this, like, exhilarating feeling of, of watching the movie, and that was also the moment that told me I wanted to become involved in movies. So, it's a That's long great. answer. Yeah, it's a long answer. But uh, that, I think that was that was the big moment for me, was, was John Carpenter's Halloween. I think I still have that DVD copy as well. Huh. So yeah, but it's I I've noticed with a lot of people who are in love with the horror genre like we do it it, it hits them early. Like I've mm-hmm. met plenty of people in my life who like horror films, but I find that the people who, whether it was fear like myself or obsession from a young age, are the ones that are really deeply into because I've got friends who will go see whatever new horror movies new or if there's like a critically acclaimed horror film, they'll definitely go see it. Um, but you know, like I don't know many other people like me who are, who are seeking out the weirdest stuff that other people might not have seen. Right. And no, for me, it's definitely an obsession. Like I will, will dig for the most obscure thing I can find. Well, let me ask you this. So, because um, it can go either way with with horror fans. Are you just a strictly like I only want to watch horror films type of person, or are you a, uh, do you appreciate all different types of cinema? Oh, I definitely the latter. Like I am a big film fan in general, and I do I do have a certain um, affinity for genre films, and not not mm-hmm. just horror, but uh, but sci fi as well. Uh, and uh, you know, west I love westerns, um, but no, I I, I appreciate. Uh, the medium across the board. I'm not, I'm not just a horror fan. I feel like, you know, why would you want to limit yourself to just one genre when there's this, you know, uh, extremely expansive, um, uh, history of, of, of work, you know, from all around the world. I find for myself, it almost becomes an obsession sometimes where, um, I'm constantly trying to find things I haven't seen. Um, yeah. To the point where, like, I, I find that, I, and it's not from lack of wanting to see newer movies. I, I find myself constantly digging up things that I haven't seen before. That, like, I'll get to the end of the year and people will ask me to write like my favorite films list, and I was like, oh crap, I've seen like 15 movies new <laughs> new this year because like there's like even when I was exploring through. Um, the Midnight Movie Society page. Sorry if you're getting a whole lot of crackling. My microphone's being weird. It's okay. I don't know if you can hear that or not. I could, but I, I mean, it wasn't interfering with, you know, your actual... Like, I could still hear you. Okay. So. I need to get a new microphone cable, but that's beside the point. Um, when I was looking through the the your um, the, the streaming service, 
like I, I realized that I realized this uh, earlier last year that the filmmaker Jess Franco is a bit of a, a, a blind spot for me. And it's never from lack of interest. I just couldn't find a lot of his stuff. Um, yeah. And when I saw that you had that Jess Franco film on, on the service, what was it called? Uh, the Sadist of Notre Dame. And I was like, oh, that's perfect because he's a filmmaker I've been wanting to see. And now I have a chance to. And like, there's all these titles that are like vaguely familiar, like things that I've heard about, kind of like in hushed tones, like Love Camp mm-hmm. 7 and things like that, that it's like, oh, there's finally a way to see a lot of this stuff because... And, and that... Well, that was like a part of the impetus of wanting to start Midnight Movie Society was because there's a lot of films that can't find a home on streaming services for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, we really, really, we wanted to make a space for stuff like Love Camp 7, uh, you know, so that people could finally start seeing it. Um, But uh, since you brought up the uh, Sadist in Notre Dame, uh, you can really see Jess Franco there because he stars in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that and that that intrigued me as well because, uh, like I said, he's he's one of those filmmakers I've I've heard a lot about and I um and it's just like it's I kind of needed that impetus to push me into it because um it was so it was both freeing and extremely frustrating in the days of video stores because you were limited to what you had in the video store and I, I right. had while well, I had a mom and pop shop. Um, in my neighborhood, um, their horror and cult sections were were relatively were relatively small. So now we live in a world of streaming where you can find all this stuff, but then it becomes overwhelming trying to figure out what to watch. But w- one thing I, I appreciate about a service like like Midnight Movie Society, and we will we'll talk about how that kind of began in a minute. I appreciate that. You guys, the this the site doesn't seem to stick to one type of horror. Because um, one thing, as a as a as a cinephile, I, I've I've noticed of my time, uh, you know, just being obsessed with movies, is that some people have a very even horror fans have a very narrow mindset of what is a horror film. And you yep. were, you were you were talking before about you know being a fa- you, you lean towards genre filmmaking. And so do I, because that was one of the most freeing things. That was one of the, when I discovered what a genre film was, that was so freeing because it was an easy way to describe all these weird interests I was forming, whether it be sci-fi or Westerns or different types of horror films, because, you know, someone who's going to watch Friday the 13th might not necessarily watch you know, the legend of hell house, despite the fact that they're both horror films, they're just different types of horror films. Um, so it's a very long winded way of me saying that I appreciate that. What I've noticed in playing around with the website is that you guys, anything that kind of falls within the genre landscape, as long as it fits into your, your MO is fair, is fair game. Yeah. And I, that's definitely what we're trying to do. We want to, make it as eclectic as possible while still sort of catering to, um, you know, the, the edgier, more extreme side of, you know, horror films. So, so were you, when, when, um, Midnight Movie Society began, which I believe was September 13th of 2019. Am I correct on that date? That's correct. It launched September of nine, 2019. Um, cause I remember getting the, uh, the press release from MVD when it, when it launched, 
Um, how how did this be, how did this how did this happen? How did this, how did uh, how did Midnight Movie Society begin? Okay, um, well, it all starts with MVD Entertainment Group, um, and for for a long time, uh, you know, they were finding that a lot of their content was being um, repeatedly uh, removed from larger streaming platforms like Amazon, um, Google Play, um, etc. And so they had these labels who, you know, they just couldn't find anywhere to put their their digital content, um, you know, for, you know, be, whether it was because, um, you know, it was too violent or gory or because the, the sexual content was a little too spicy. Um, too spicy. So, too spicy. Um, so, you know, they, they kind of got to thinking, like, what, what, what can we do about this? Uh, so then... Um, you know, they reached out to Rumorg, uh, and they sort of pitched this idea of this streaming platform um, that you know, could serve as a home for all of these films that they couldn't find a, a place for anywhere else. And Rumorg was really into it, uh, and then that's where I came in because um, they needed a curator and they needed somebody who really knew horror films uh, and who was familiar with um, you know a lot of this content. Uh, so I came on board uh, around June of 2019, pre-launch, um, and so yes, yeah, it's, it's been a it's been really interesting so far, and you know it's it's been gratifying as well because I've gotten a lot of emails from subscribers saying, you know, basically, uh, I can't believe X, Y, or Z movie is on here. I've been wanting to see this for a long time. So, you know, just like what you were saying earlier. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, extreme horror fans, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a niche interest, but, uh, you know, the people who are into that sort of thing are really, really passionate. Uh, and so, you know, the, the response to uh, Midnight Movie Society has been really overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier about it. So there's a lot of horror movie streaming sites out there. Um, yeah. And while I'm not trying to like advertise for another company, it's 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 easy to say that I feel like Shutter would probably be one of the biggest ones. Sure. So for people who are listening who say have, have not heard of Midnight Movie Society, what would you say separates you from from the big guys like Shutter or people who I see it all the time on a lot of horror pages where everyone's like, well, why pay for a streaming service and you can go to Tubi or something like that? What separates Midnight Movie Society? I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear I want to hear from you. Well, I would say it's it's two things. Um, one of them I already touched on, which is that a lot of the stuff is not available on Shutter or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, you can't find uh, the American Guinea Pig series, uh, for example, on you know a lot of these larger platforms, um, you know, or stuff from from unearthed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the other thing is that. You know, I serve as a curator, so everything that you're getting on Midnight Movie Society is curated. Like, it, it, it has a lot of thought put into it. Uh, and, you know, Tubi is just sort of, I mean, not to denigrate Tubi, just because you use it as an example. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't have that personal touch. And I think a lot of horror fans can recognize when one of their own is involved in something. 100%. And that's actually what was going to be my point. What I thought separated you guys is, is curation. Um, because it's, 
you know, there, there's a lot of great websites out there. There's a lot of great places to to find movies. But I, I kind one thing I like about Midnight Movie Society is that it's kind of like a, um, you know, um, like how an alk with with alcohol or something they have like limited batches. I like that there are not a couple thousand options on the website so it gives me a little more narrow focus and a fewer things to choose from and it's something that was hand-picked by someone that you know even to say if the movie's not good they they you found something in it that you think is worthwhile yeah and i mean a lot of it is also kind of more low budget independent uh type films that you know i mean as a horror fan i i, I really care about supporting um, indie ventures and I love low budget filmmaking so it's really important to me to get stuff like that on the platform too and you know uh, you might not find a lot of that stuff elsewhere either so that actually kind of leads into a question I was going to ask a little bit later on but it's perfect time is since not everything is classic content I do see a lot of new stuff in here things that I've seen through my years going to horror conventions I've seen filmmakers you know hitting the pavement trying to sell themselves how do you find uh, some of the newer voices? Well, um, to be perfectly honest, a lot of the stuff we have on our uh, platform currently is uh, are, are films that have been released through labels that are already uh, being distributed by MVD. So a lot of this is part of the MVD library. Okay. Um, but as far as like how I uh, scout out new talent or new content, I mean being a horror fan i'm i'm constantly keeping up with uh you know what's coming out uh, i go to a lot of conventions uh, i'm on a lot of email lists for film festivals um so you know a lot of it is just putting in the time and effort to you know to scour the internet and keep my ears and eyes open you know at, at, at screenings and conventions uh for anything that looks cool and you know that i think might um fit in with what we're doing uh with midnight movie society so i mean a lot of it is just being a nerd <laughs> i think that's a big part of it anytime you're gonna like dedicate your life to to movies i think you need to you need to be you need to open with yourself and realize that you know you are a nerd but that's not a bad thing yeah so despite you... what people might have told you uh <laughs> growing up yeah uh, you might have said when you were talking about the the creation of Midnight Movie Society, but how did you directly become involved? Like, how did you get on on their radar to become the curator? Um, well, I just happened to know uh, a lot of the people involved with MVD, and they all knew that yeah, I was uh, obsessed with horror, and you know, really knew my stuff. So uh, it was basically as simple as that. So you just kind of knew the right people. Did yeah. you have to like, uh, like, sh uh, you know, prove your merit or anything like that, or was it like? Sure, hey, I mean, know, there this... was a whole, there was a whole interview process. I didn't just uh, show up and start doing things, but um, yeah, I, I had to, I had to prove my, my worth. Yeah, because I, th I think like for a lot of film fans, like doing curating whether it be like for like uh you know for a film festival or for something like or a, a streaming service i think it's like the holy grail for a lot of people because then you personally get to put your stamp of approval on things and show people these weird films that they might not have seen yeah and i mean so much of being a, a, a film fan or involved in fandom of any kind is the love of sharing mm -hmm. you know 
being able to, to go to, to people and say like, hey, this, this is a cool thing that I really love. Uh, I want you to check it out. And to be able to do that professionally is very cool. Yeah. And I feel like, and maybe you're, it's a little different for each person, but like when I first started really getting into movies, I almost like cherished things where I didn't want other people to know about them because like this is yeah. my thing. I don't want any people to have this thing. I need to show that I'm a bigger fan of this thing than you. But as I've as as I mature, I find myself more like I find any excuse to show people stuff. Yeah, that's exactly how it was for me. I mean, I think there's a, there's a term for that, gatekeeping. Yeah. And when I when I was younger, I was definitely a gatekeeper, and I kind of cringe thinking about it now. But you know, when you develop this connection to something, mm-hmm. you feel protective of it. Um, you feel like it's it's yours, and uh, that other people are encroaching on it. That they're, they're interlopers, basically. And I felt this way about a lot of bands, not just mm-hmm. films. Um, but you know, I grew out of it, and I think most people grew out of it eventually. Uh, some people don't. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but you know, I think it's a phase. Um, you know, a lot of people go through. Yeah. So th- this this might be kind of like a, a a weird like inside baseball kind of nerdy question, but I've I've never known anyone who's involved with a service like this that I can ask. Um, where does a you know Midnight Movie Society? Where do you find your your video sources from? Like, is, do, you, do you do you have access to a print of the Sadist of Notre Dame? Is it something that you mentioned MVD released a lot of this stuff to begin with? I'm always curious yeah. where this stuff comes from. So, I mean, we get all of our digital files from the labels. So, you know, once they come on board, they will send over digital files for all of their films, you know, that we want on the platform. And then from there, we, we take those files and then upload them. Okay. Because like I, I know each each webs each each source is a little different. Like, um, like for example, like one thing that I I I, I kind of love is let's use Amazon as an example. A- Amazon's the only place I've ever seen VHS rips <laughs> streaming before, <laughs> uh, and I kind of weirdly appreciate that. Is uh, um, so I just I, I I figured as much, but I, I, I it was always a curiosity for me. Because that's, and I don't know how other sites do it, but that, that's how we do it. Because I've I was really happy with the the, the quality of, of everything that I was, I was peeking through and playing around with. Because that's always the first thing I do when I get a streaming a new streaming service is I poke around to see if like the the streaming quality is is very good. Because I I've had it happen where I've paid for like uh, a, a service and nothing even looked like it was in high definition. I was like, why am I paying for this? Um, so I guess this is a long-winded way of me saying that I, I thought the, the streaming quality of everything was fantastic. Well, that's really nice to hear. I'm glad uh, you've been enjoying it so far. I definitely have. Uh, so Rue Morgue is attached with this service. What, do Is it in name only, or do they have any hands-on um, involvement? Um. So they've... They've licensed their name to MVD, but they are involved in a little bit in, in so much as like, uh, you know, they help us promote the platform uh, and, you know, they've coordinated some um, public appearances for us, like at conventions, 
Um, but for the most part, it is more of an MVD enterprise. Okay. Uh, I was I, When I got the original press release, I was really tickled by that because uh, Room Work was always one of my favorite of the horror yeah, magazines. Like, I like them all. I, I like them all, but I feel like Room Work kind of felt like, in a lot of ways, the underdog because it was the one that even my, even I the, my friends who read horror mags didn't really read Rue Morgue. Uh, so I always had affinity towards them because I, I really liked the content they're putting out. So it really excited me when I saw that, even if it's just a name only to an extent, that they're putting their stamp of approval on it, saying this is something that we can get behind that we really, we really think is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting for me because like you, I, I love Rue Morgue and I grew up reading it. And, you know, they have this amazing legacy. And so to be able to partner with them in any capacity is really amazing. Yeah, like, I think that's, it's kind of like that childhood dream of being getting to be, be involved with something that you, you love and respect. It's surreal. <laughs> Do you ever have to just, like, pinch yourself and be like, this can't be real. This can't be my life right now. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> sometimes that's kind of how I, I i feel that way just doing what i do like i'm not necessarily on the level of uh you know curating a a, a popular streaming service but even just the places that i've gotten through podcasting like i sometimes feel like I've, I've done more doing that than i actually did of my career making movies and it's kind of gotten to the point where it's like wait people want to hear what i have to say that's very strange um Another question I had, just because uh, the first thing that I, I noticed when I when I logged on was uh, you had a section curated by uh, Diabolique, um, and for the horror nerds out there who may who recognize that name, they, uh, and for those who don't, Diabolique is a would you call them a DVD resell? Not a reseller. What's the word I'm looking for? They're an online retailer. Um, online and also retailer. It's- uh, diabolic. Is it diabolic? I always thought it was diabolique. Yeah. I think I don't know. I always add an I always added an accent to it. It's diabolic. Well, there's a there's a movie diabolique which is pretty. Maybe that's pretty, what I'm thinking. Pretty awesome. Movie, okay. But... Well, this entire time I've been I've been calling them by the wrong name. So hopefully um, they they forgive me if they're listening. But uh, they're cool guys. They they won't mind. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, was that like a connection that you brought in or? How did that happen? Yeah, so um, they already had a prior relationship with MVD, but I also have, um, you know, personal relationships with uh, the the guys who run Diabolic. So it kind of was a no-brainer. You know, as soon as um, we got the platform up and running, I started thinking about, you know, ways I could bring in, um, you know, outside names to sort of, you know, do some uh, social media promo um, or just promo in general. And so Diabolic was the first name I thought of. And uh, so I reached out to them and they were immediately on board. Uh, And so we just put together a little curated list of some of their favorite titles on the platform. So that's how that happened. I always like situations like that, like guest curation. Yeah. Um, because it's not only is a curation a good thing anyways, because it's like, here's here's something that we're putting our stamp of approval on. But then another group will come in and be like, we also think this specific title is worth your time. And it's almost like, ooh, I 
need to move this up my list even more. Like, for example, Turkey Shoot is something I want to watch soon. It's a movie I've heard of, but I never got a chance to see. And yeah, seeing, that one is bonkers. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing I always was always told about it, and seeing that you know Diabolic also says, "Hey, this is." This is worth seeing. That's also how The Sadist of Notre Dame got moved up my watch list as well. It's, um, yeah, it's it's exciting because, like I was saying earlier, sometimes the hardest part is just landing on something. There's plenty of stuff to see. There's plenty of stuff to watch. But it can be so overwhelming. Like, okay, where do I begin? Yeah, I mean, I have the same thing. It's sort of like this oversaturation of, um, you know, streaming options that makes it kind of overwhelming but uh you know and then then we joined the fray and made it even more complicated (laughs) (laughs) but i I, one thing that is that i'm curious about because it is becoming to the point where everyone's got a streaming service there's so many of them and you have to be something special to really get someone to spend their hard-earned money on them is there anything that bugs you about others you don't have to name any names obviously is there anything that bugs you about other streaming services that you wanted to do different or that you thought made you different um i mean as far as like what makes us different i again it's just sort of that we offer some more niche content mm-hmm. that you can't really get anywhere else um but you know regarding things that i don't like about other streaming services the thing that immediately came to mind was just you know after paying the subscription fee to have to then endure ads uh, yeah. is is really obnoxious. Um, you know, unfortunately, a, a lot of streaming services don't do that. But you know, there were a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty easy to please. Like, if you have interesting content, I'm I'm gonna be into it. Yeah. So we we've kind of circled back to it a couple times. Just to, you know that. I think the the website your your website uh said you know says that Midnight Movie Society uh focuses on underground taboo extreme and cult horror films. Do you since th- these films aren't for everyone. This is like you said for a very niche audience. Um you know the the Friday night movie crowd who wants to just go see a fun horror film might not find a whole lot to gravitate towards. Um on your site but do you feel like films like this you know like love camp seven or um you know cannibal terror do you films do you feel films like this need context to be enjoyed or i'm just curious what your stance is on that because a lot of like let's use turner classic movies as an example they would always have like robert osborne come out beforehand and kind of talk about the historical context of something whether it be you know problematic or just so that way you know why this is important how do you stand on that um well i don't necessarily think it needs context uh, some of these films need context to be enjoyed but like i've always been big on providing context i mean i i program uh films at a local art house cinema and i i host the screenings and before every screening i do a little talk uh and talk about you know um, some of the history behind the film uh, and sort of what I find interesting about it. So I'm, I definitely, I think there's value in knowing about, you know, the, not only um, 
production uh, trivia about the film, but like you know the the historical and cultural context behind the creation of it. Um, but you know, I don't think you don't really need to know anything about uh, I'll just use Turkey Shoot as an example. Mm-hmm. You don't uh, you don't need to know about um, the socio political uh, situation of Australia. <laughs> at the time it was made to understand to to uh enjoy turkey shoot yeah so you know i mean some of the some of the content you know uh, love camp seven for example or something like uh uh cannibal holocaust or you know some of these more extreme movies you know i i, I guess it might be beneficial to the viewer to sort of know what they're getting into um but I, I don't think they you need to do like a deep deep research dive before you watch every, uh, you know every movie on our service. No, then that's understandable. I, I guess because what, what what I love that um, that you're the that you're that you are a a female in the horror community. And that you are curating these really extreme films because, like, one of the <laughs> things that um, when I started finding my voice in the horror world that I got a lot of is, if you know, if I wanted someone to go see Maniac and I was telling them how cool it was, um, you know, some people would look at it and be like, oh, he must obviously hate women because he loves this movie so much. Um, mm. So I think it or... Um, <laughs> Uh, looking back at it, it was probably a weird choice, and uh, it didn't end up happening. When I met my wife, one of the first dates, um, I asked if she wanted to go see Silent Night, Deadly Night in the theater. And not <laughs> knowing if she liked horror films, that could have potentially gone vo- very poorly for me. But uh, she ends- she now loves that movie. Um, but So I think it's kind of cool that you are out here you know curating some of these these violent films some of them have you know um, sexualizes women or they have violence against women and you're pretty much saying hey just because this stuff's not easy to watch doesn't mean it doesn't have merit yeah or you know it doesn't mean i i you know i think it's important for me personally as a a film lover to challenge myself mm-hmm. um you know and to you know, expose myself to things that might make me uncomfortable or, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I I love maniac by the way, but yeah, I, I, I don't believe that, um, just watching these movies says anything about the viewer's character. Uh, so, but yeah, I am, uh, sorry. I just lost my train of thought there, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically, basically it. And I, I'm a big proponent of make, like bringing that to the surface because, like I said, as as a, as a young male when I was getting into the horror film horror film world, I got weird looks. I got I got judged a lot. Heck, even my mom used to make comments. She understands it now, but at the time, she's like, "Why are you into all these weird movies?" And um, and I didn't know many 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 female horror fans. 
And then like when I did start meeting some, I was always, I was afraid to bring up women, uh, movies that had, um, you know, violence against women thinking that I'd be judged for it. And now, uh, it's kind of going back to what I was saying about context that I've, I've noticed a lot of, uh, my friends who are female horror fans or even my male horror fan friends, um, you know, context plays a big thing into it. You can watch cannibal holocaust for example and enjoy cannibal holocaust and not necessarily enjoy what's being seen on screen um right i've talked on my own show before about just because someone makes a uh, a chauvinist movie doesn't mean the person making it is necessarily a chauvinist or that there are there are characters who yeah. you know are, are bigoted or sexist or racist or something or, like that yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I guess I, I I was really happy to find out when um, I, I was talking to, to when Clint suggested me doing this interview with you that um, when he said that you're you're the curator, I was like, oh, that's cool because it's a, it, it's it's someone that you wouldn't expect curating all these crazy movies. Right, and I I love kind of like sub, subverting those expectations, and I'm yeah, hoping... and I mean if that helps. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was saying I'm hoping that if anything, there's someone listening to this show that kind of hears your story and be like, oh, I don't have to be afraid of these weird interests I have. Right. I mean, and if it helps, um, you know, break down preconceptions about, uh, you know, who watches horror films or who might be interested in these kinds of movies and who is bringing these films to a wider audience, then, you know, I'll be glad for it. Yeah. So, I, I'm I'm I've only got one other question, and it was um, uh, a question from a, a friend of mine. I was telling you a little bit before we started actually recording. Um, she's a film critic in Chicago. Her name is Josephine Maria Janasek Lechinsky. And when I told her that I was going to be sitting down and talking with you, one, she was uh, super impressed by by your credentials. And the first thing I when I asked is like, does you do you have any questions? Is how do I get a job with them? And then I said, was there anything that, you know, as <laughs> as a listener that you'd want to hear me touch on? And she sent me a little bit of a longer question. So let me know if you need me to repeat it. I'm going to read it verbatim as she sent it, if that's okay with you. All right. Hopefully I can answer it. <laughs> All right. Uh, her question was, uh, underground slash cult movies would seem to apply, imply ones by marginalized creators, but often does not. Her example was the dominating of the subcategory by creators like Eli Roth and others. How is Midnight Movie Society addressing the inclusion and diversity in their lineup that will ensure a variety of viewers and subscribers? That's a really good question. And that's also, you know, one I appreciate because I'm 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 bi, so I identify as queer. So I definitely and that's actually like I think a big part of why I loved horror as a kid as well although that's an entirely different uh conversation but um no i definitely appreciate that she asked that and you know we do have some films that you know feature marginalized um protagonists you know uh, mm-hmm. we have some with like uh you know gay characters or um um people of color but i think our as far as like the actual you know, people behind the camera with, with our content, I think it is, uh, you know, it skews a little more towards 
the straight and white side of things. And, um, you know, I would like to say a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm still working from, you know, the library of films available to me. And there's a lot of, you know, films that I would like to acquire for the platform that would diversify things considerably. But, you know, I do have to take some responsibility for it as well because I'm the curator. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think right now there, there's definitely room for improvement in that area. But, uh, I, I, I really appreciate that she asked that question. Well, I also think that you're in a very interesting spot for it because like you said, a, a lot of the content that's on, um, the service and that's on a lot of street horror streaming websites does stray towards my demographic straight white male um because that's who's really dominated the the industry and the genre for so long but you're kind of in a really interesting place where you can when thing when things become available you can kind of start trickling it in and yeah kind of start that that paradigm change especially like you know once People start getting used to the site and knowing what kind of content they have and getting used to your voice as a curator because everything on the site reflects who you are as well. You know, if you do say take a chance with something that's about a different perspective or a different voice or something that, you know, doesn't necessarily hit my demographic, they'll they'll go in very open minded because they trust your voice. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully I can... uh start shifting things a little bit in my own little way. Do you have any, I know you can't talk about things you don't have yet, but is there any, anything that like, is there like a dream get that you could, that if you could get anything right now, is there like a dream movie you'd love to be able to curate for the site? Just anything, mm-hmm. no matter what, anything, just um, anything. Yeah, totally. So there is a, a filmmaker who, who went by the name of rinse dream and uh, he released a few um, sort of horror-tinged, like, adult films, uh, one of which was called Cafe Flesh. I would absolutely I've heard like, of this movie, yes. I've heard of that movie. I would love to have Cafe Flesh. Yeah, I, I, I don't even remember where I heard about that film for the first time, but everyone that was talking about it pretty much said it's the, it's the weirdest adult film you'll ever see and i've seen some weird adult films because vinegar syndrome yeah. is one of the sponsors of this show so they they'll just send me uh very they'll just send me any anything so it's everything from you know their big releases like tammy the t-rex to hardcore porn so i've seen very yeah. weird stuff but cafe flesh is one that i've wanted to see well it's very difficult to find and i think the only i think i saw it uh through um well, <laughs> torrenting, you know, I uh, I acquired a lot of movies back in the day through, um, you know, less than legitimate means. Uh, but, you know, and that's just like part of why I am passionate about doing Midnight Movie Society is because, you know, there's a lot of really cool films that, um, you know, don't, aren't available anywhere that should be. So, uh, you know, if I can help bring uh, even one of those films to a wider audience, it's worthwhile as far as I'm concerned. Is there anything on, because obviously, obviously everything on the, the, the on Midnight Movie Society, you'd recommend people to watch because you handpicked it all. But is there anything that 
you want to give a little bit of love to right now and be like people who are listening to this check out this you know one two three or however many films these are what i think you should start with yeah i mean well turkey shoot is a good one okay um folks who are really into uh found footage horror films um uh, i i would suggest checking out this uh spanish film we have on there or i believe it's mexican called um atroz which um, I was it, just it looking at that <laughs> for people who have uh, strong stomachs. Um, okay, but it, it's it's very well done, very unnerving, and um, you know, it's not. I have I get motion sickness from some of the found footage films, but uh, I don't have that problem with the trove. So, um, and then uh, let me think here. And there's so many, so many things. There's obviously well the Jess Franco stuff, Venus and Furs. That's a classic. Um, there's a there's a great sort of slasher esque film called uh, Cat Sick Blues, uh, which was released by Wild Eye, and uh, we have that up on there. I definitely check that out. Um, and you know we have it set up so that it's organized by subgenre. So if there's a particular subgenre of horror you're interested in, uh, you can you can search that way as well. Italian, the Italian horror stuff is kind of where my yeah. my brain went at first when I saw this because anytime I get a a new horror service, it's that's usually where I like to start because I think it's some of the even when the films aren't very good, it's some of the most bold filmmaking and storytelling that I've seen. Absolutely. Is there out of the uh, the subcategories that you have? Is there one that you have a personal uh, fondness for? Well, that one and um, geez, let me think. I mean, there's like a, I think we have like an LGBT section. Yeah, um, I was looking at that. You no, know, that's, that's obvious, something that I'm, you know, invested in. And the, oh, splatter films. There's a big old splatter section. Um, so if, you know, anyone who is super into gore and, and, and practical effects, um, that's where it's at. Yeah, splatter films and slasher films have always kind of been like my comfort food for me. So I I, I, I lean towards those quite a bit as well. I'm also really excited be, too that I think you might be the only service I've ever seen that's got a selection of shot on video horror films. I was just going to mention the shot on video too. I'm a huge SOV fan. And so, I, it's, it's yeah, kind of a I'm, great I'm very, area for me. I'm very, very happy to have that. It's a gray area oh, for yeah? me, so I, I, I don't think I, if I have, I don't remember, I don't think I've seen any, I've never seen any of the films on your shot on video section, but um, that was a period in, in in horror filmmaking that I just, I, I just was never able to go back to. So is there one that you recommend that I start with as someone who's a novice to the shot on video world? Um... Do you mean in general or that we, the, that, that you from offer, our, our library? From, from your library. Sure. Um, so I would recommend uh, a film called Burning Moon. Okay. That one's pretty gnarly. Just add it to my list. <laughs> yeah, at this point now, I'm just trying to get personalized recommendations so I know what to watch next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, so just in general, shot on video, because I, I love, as I said, shot on video stuff. If you can find a movie called Blonde Death. Blonde Death. Yeah watch it okay it's like it's not a horror film it's kind of like 
I guess you could loosely describe it as a, a sort of crime thriller, but it's very John Waters esque, very low budget, and like totally ridiculous. You you might understand this being as into horror film as, as you are because I'm super into horror. But when any time uh, someone says to and stresses to me, it's not a horror film. That makes me want to see it that much more. I don't know why, <laughs> uh, because I you know um, I, I I can't explain why. But anytime someone's like, it's not a horror film, as like, well, that means it's something that's really unique, and I need to see it because if it can't really be categorized. Well, I'm glad I was on. Uh, I I managed to be persuasive about that. Then <laughs> you did, you did. Um, I think that's all the the main questions I had. I really appreciate you taking some time out to to sit down and you know talk to me for a little while. Yeah, and thanks for having me on your show. It's been really enjoyable chatting with you. It has been, and like, and if there's anything that I can obviously do to help Midnight Movie Society let me know like my podcast doesn't have the biggest audience in the world but we are growing yeah i'm really i i, I really stoked with what with what with, with what you're doing sorry i can't talk today i've just been very scatterbrained <laughs> that's okay um I, i'm really stoked with what you guys are doing and i i love that there is a service out there that's catering to something different um and don't get me wrong you know uh midnight movie society is not is not the is not always going to be a first choice because you kind of have to be in a really different kind of mindset for some of these films um but i love knowing that on nights where i do want to challenge myself a little bit more when i just i I don't want to just have something out in the background just to kind of lull myself i love knowing that i can find something that's going to be engaging and challenging on here and while it may not always ring true or may not always be the best filmmaking that it's going to make me think about it and one thing yeah. that I've always loved doing was trying to find the artfulness in trash, for lack of a better oh, term. Oh, me too. Um, and I feel like this is a great crash course for people who want to find something different. You know, you know, you've seen all the big films. You've seen the Hellraisers. You've seen the Friday the Thirteenth. You've seen Reanimator or what have you. But you know who want to try something different you know you've seen cannibal holocaust but you you didn't know there are those other cannibal films or one that i personally recommend that kind of blew me away the first time i saw it was the toolbox murders it is oh, yeah. the least slasher slasher film that i can think of and we have that on midnight movies so. you do that's why i plugged it it's also got one of my favorite scores for a horror oh, yeah. film it's so goofy and i love every second of it and I first time I got to see it was surprisingly Turner Classic Movies showed it a late night one time and I've not seen it since and I'm legitimately excited to go back and and re-see it. Well, that's so. awesome. Um and I I'm a, since you mentioned TCM, I will I I don't have like cable anymore but I used to constantly watch TCM and also like they're, they now I don't remember if they used to do this, but they have like this underground programming block now where they show stuff like, uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah Jacobson's like I was a teenage serial killer. Yeah, uh, that, that stuff never used awesome. to, that never stuff used, never used to be on back when I had it. Like I had it for a little while. I got Sling TV just so I could watch Turner Classic Movies and I realized I was paying thirty dollars a month just for Turner Classic Movies. Um, and I, I miss it constantly, but I like that they've been kind of showing love to 
a different audience. And yes, great. Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about context, I think it would be fantastic to see as Midnight Movie Society grows to to almost have your own Robert Osborne or something that can kind of oh, give I context to some that. of these. <laughs> you know, I don't know who that would be, um, but to just something that you can, you, a little optional introduction that introduces the film, like, or people who, you know, who say are like myself who are slightly new to Jess Franco as someone who can say, Hey, this is where he was in his career when he was making this. I think that could be fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm sure you already thought of it, but there's an idea for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much, Adriana. And how do you pronounce your last name for when I, when I record the introduction? Uh, Gober. Gober. I figured, yeah. but I just I wanted to ask because I didn't want to insult you. No, by I appreciate it. Thanks it. for asking. Not a problem. Um, and was there anything else you want to talk about before we 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 adjourn? No, uh, I think that's good. Um, I'm I'm curious. Like, do you are you on social media? Like, do you have a Twitter? Or, I am, or and actually, that, that that's perfect because that's probably how I should end this. Um, I am on social media. My I've, I'm on Twitter. I'm still work. I'm still figuring out Twitter. My my friend Josephine, I was talking about before, is the one that urged me to get Twitter because she thought it'd be a good way for me to you know kind of grow my brand. And I'm still figuring mm-hmm. out how it works. But I am on Twitter. It, my um my handle is at the Michael Vires. So it's my my name. Okay. Um, I'm on Instagram at Michael underscore Vires, and I'm on Facebook. Are you on social media? Yeah, I'm on all of. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um. So, oh, I guess I should, I should say my my handle on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so on on Twitter, you can find me at uh, e a d x b b, which is a weird Twitter handle, but it's a guitar tuning. Um. And on Instagram, uh, I'm mm, rolling donut. That's m m m rolling, and then donut spelled d o n u t. That's fantastic. What was the Twitter one again? At E-A-D-X-B-B. That's it. I was I was trying to find I was trying to keep up with you when you when you were saying it and I was so amused by just the, the name that I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I <was trying> to, <laughs> it's okay. I'm not a fast enough typer. Uh but yes, if you guys liked what you heard on this conversation, be sure to follow Adriana and Give Midnight Movie Society a try. I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised by what you find. And because my, my podcast is not exclusively horror, um, uh, the whole conceit of the podcast when me and my, my co host created it was when I was in film school, uh, it always happened where someone would come up to you and be like, Oh, have you seen Apocalypse Now or whatever? And we, you know, you don't want to admit that you haven't seen something. So you're like, Yeah, it's, it's great. And you kind of just keep the lie going and hope they don't ask you too many questions. Um, and I realized that I had I'd masked quite a long list of shame, as they call it, and um, that I kind of needed an excuse to go back and watch some of this stuff. So me and my co-host started the podcast so we can start seeing some of this stuff and talk about it in a kind of a judgment-free zone. And our big thing is we we like to promote positivity. I think there's too many podcasts and too many publications out there that try so hard to be spiteful and be witty by being yeah. mean. And we challenge each other, even if it's happened, it does happen where we'll watch a movie and we don't necessarily like it. We challenge each other to find the good in it. We're not saying you have to give it a five-star review, but, you know, we don't believe that something is the worst thing you've ever seen. 
there's you know i i kind of live in the world that if there was one good scene it wasn't worth it wasn't a waste of my time yeah um, so on board with that you have no idea like i really detest the sort of detached uh ironic uh approach to um you know film viewership and th- that is sort of like overtaken like film culture everywhere and yeah. i mean i'm i'm a big big fan of a lot of filmmakers and films that people would consider like low art or or to use a term that you already is trash Mm -hmm. Uh, like i love andy milligan i love ed wood um i think there's such a unique vision to these films uh and so much character and personality and you know i I just hate the sort of not you know there was a big kerfuffle on twitter the other day about mystery science theater because you know somebody basically tweeted out that mystery science theater is the root of a lot of like what's wrong with film culture now. And I don't know that I agree with that 100%, but you know, a whole generation of people were trained to mock B movies and, and just cinema in general. Uh, And so, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing and trying to foster, um, you know, positivity and not uncritical positivity, but just, you know, yeah. trying to trying to see the good things definitely and what what i think that a lot of people don't realize about going mentioning mystery science theater i think uh mystery science theater i never took it as negativity because i always felt it was it was criticism out of love and i could be wrong sure, yeah but like i feel like you have to really love a movie to w- watch as many times as they do to have enough content to make fun of it but yeah um yeah i just i i i when i was younger i was that very negative film person who hated everything and i just it just takes so much energy to be that person that it's so much easier for me just to find things that i like and like even like i'm on letterboxd and i feel like a lot of times i'm far too lenient with a lot of things and you know the little heart that they have in letterboxd i it's on most things my my personal rule is if i'd feel like i'd ever rewatch it it gets a heart like it's very i'm very lenient but not I like un, that system very, not uncritical though but i'm just i I've, I've always hated the expression so good it's bad because I feel like it's adding, oh, it's adding this. Well, I can only. It's a bad movie, but I only like it because of this. Just own up to things you love. I unapologetically uh, give um, the Super Mario Brothers movie five stars because I think it's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I watched that movie so many times as a kid. I think it's a masterpiece. I legitimately do. So I, uh, you know, I, I I try to foster the, this 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 vibe, and I've had people want to be on the podcast in the past who you know, want to come on and I, I, I kind of have to give them a, I have to like kind of give my criteria and said, you know, if you, it's okay if you hate a film, but if you feel like you can't say something good about it, you're not, I don't want you on. <laughs> I feel like kind of a, te- yeah. I was a teacher for five years and it's kind of funny how, how much that expression, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all comes back in my life. Um, my, uh, my father was a teacher for like 44 years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a tough job. There's a reason I don't do it anymore. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 trying to foster positivity. Um, heck, the only time the only time I ever give anything like, like you know the worst review you can give on like Letterbox is a half star. The only time I ever give that is if I just couldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. So that that's that's a little um, 
background on the podcast is we just try to be positive uh, and spread love of cinema. Well, keep up the good work. (laughs) Thank you very much. And I hope you have a good rest of your night. And once again, thank you you for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I'm going to find you on Letterboxd, too. (laughs) Oh, well, if anyone's listening, because I always forget about Letterboxd as technically being social media. Um, uh, It's actually the same. I believe it's the same as my Twitter handle, Michael underscore Vyers. Mine is, I think, uh, Eschaton. E-S-K-A-T-O-N but if you search my name uh, it should come up as well yeah Letterbox has kind of become my obsession the last couple of years I always fall like I never log all the films that I watch I'm so bad at keeping up with it but I did just log something today <laughs> I, I feel like I log too much <laughs> uh because no, nonsense it, it becomes a game it really does especially now that i'm the pro pro membership and i can watch my stats at all the time to- at all times it's like it becomes a game like i i and i also like to see how weird i can make it like we're we're just into 2020 and like my top my mo- my top watch directors is a three-way tie between uh louis lumiere <laughs> martin scorsese <laughs> and burt gillette who directed a bunch of disney cartoons <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I couldn't find you in Letterboxd, but as soon as you find me, I will just like you back. But a lot, right. of, this, a lot of this ending banter will be cut out because it's uninteresting. That's fine <laughs> Two people me. nerding out over Letterboxd. <laughs> well, thank you again. And uh, like I said, if there's anything I can do, let me know and keep in touch because I legitimately loved this conversation. Yeah, I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. And I, I'm going to let you go because I need to get on the road. I need to drive to Iowa tonight. So I'll talk right. to you later. Well, safe travels. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Villani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.